Moses was to receive all the encouragement that he needed at this time from the Lord. His plan, his purpose would not be thwarted. And Moses was to even have that impressed upon his soul. We have considered those seven promises marked by the words, I will. What God had said, you see, he would do. What God had covenanted to Abram 400 years before this time, it would be fulfilled. And the culmination of it all would be what we read in, really in the words of verse 8. I will bring you into the land. I will give it to you for a heritage. All that would happen and be accomplished was in order that they would enjoy that which had been promised in covenant to their fathers. And some of that, men and women, is still to be fulfilled. God hasn't forgotten His covenant regarding Israel. It will still be fulfilled in coming days. And you know, just thinking about that, we might say the believer is no different. For the full enjoyment of our inheritance will only be fully realized in a future day. The assurance has been given. We have the earnest of our inheritance. Let me read to you Ephesians 1 verse 14. It says, well verse 13, I better read it as well. In whom ye asked Christ, ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession under the praise of his Lord. You might say, what's that mean? Well, when you go out to buy some white goods, you'll get a wee guarantee. It's supposed to last two years or three years. And then you know what happens. Two years is gone, the next week it breaks down. Well, not always, but sometimes. Well, that's a guarantee. And men and women, the Lord has given us a guarantee. It's called an earnest. The earnest of our inheritance. The guarantee that you will receive it. And as we're just mentioning in the Bible class this morning, it is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of promise. He dwells within the child of God. He's the earnest. He's the guarantee. But you see, the day is coming. The assurance is that we'll not only have the guarantee, but we'll have the actual portion itself. We'll have the actual inheritance. We'll see Christ, the one who loved us, and gave himself for us. As we briefly noted previously, these seven promises are encapsulated within the framework of divine assurance. For God opens and closes those promises with the same words, I am Jehovah. It's as if to say that he wants the people to fix their eyes upon Jehovah God who cannot fail before he ever utters one of those I wills. And when he has all spoken, the speak, uh, he has spoken the things that he wants Moses to bring to Pharaoh and to the children of Israel, when it's all spoken, it is as if they, he wants them still to keep their eyes on the fact that it's the only true, the only almighty God who has actually given this word. He's still Jehovah. Every difficulty and every doubt would therefore vanish if they grasped who it really was that had spoken these words unto them. 
Faith remembers in spite of circumstances that with God all things are possible. All things are possible. Why? Because he says, I am Jehovah. That's where he starts and that's where he closes it. I am still Jehovah. Men and women, I want you to get your eyes upon the Lord this morning. On Jehovah. Despite the circumstances. That faith, you see, will be tried and tested for when Moses proceeds in obedience to deliver that message of the Lord unto the children of Israel. We considered last time they hearkened not unto him. In their bondage and their anguish, they should have been uplifted. They should have been encouraged to know that their liberty was within touching distance. But they declined to hear it. Instead, like many of God's people today, we can become so engrossed with the circumstances. We can be so laden down with the burdens that we miss out on what God has for us. But despite the reaction of the people, the Lord was to meet with Moses again. I'm nearly inclined to think it's a a different time from the words that we've looked at in the opening part of of the chapter. Because it says in verse 10, And the Lord spake unto Moses. It's maybe a different time. But he comes and he speaks to Moses. And the message hasn't changed. He was to keep going. And so are we. Even in this day. I want you to see first of all the commandment. Recently we noted that Pharaoh had commanded. He had commanded that the burdens might be increased upon the Israelites. It will not give them time to think about their worship or even the desire to go away to worship their God. And so we'll, we'll increase the burdens. We'll have to gather the straw to make the same tale of bricks. Well, the greater commander now has stepped in. The greater commander is God. And he gives a greater command in the words of verse 11. Go in, speak unto Pharaoh, king of Egypt, that he let the children of Israel go out of his land. Isn't it interesting that this command was given after that the people had responded so negatively? Moses had rehearsed all that the Lord had said. He had spake so. I underlined that to you, that little word so. I had underlined uh, even the message to the children of Israel of the I haves, of the I wills, of the I am. But it all been met with an indifferent and a distracted spirit. Yet God still gives this commandment. Because the strength of God in his divine purposes, it's not thwarted, it's not hindered by the unbelief of his people. Remember Paul, and Paul wrote to Timothy and he said these words in 2 Timothy 2 and 13, If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful. He cannot deny himself. And this command of the Lord was issued. Even though God knew the mindset and the heart of Moses, and we'll consider that in just a moment, because his response doesn't inspire confidence either, and God who knows all things, yet he was still to issue this command. Won't you notice the change in the command? Wonder, did you notice it? In the words of verse 11, Go in, speak unto Pharaoh, king of Egypt, that he let the children of Israel go out of his land. God was commanding him to go in and tell this to Pharaoh. He may have been, not have been well received the first time around. And, God, and Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord? Who is Jehovah that I should obey him? 
But you see, it's God who's in charge of these speaking engagements. Moses going again. Going before Pharaoh. He was to go in and speak unto him and the message that he was to deliver had a difference from the first time around. He was to let the children of Israel go out of his land. You see, the first time the earlier message that went forth to him was that they were to be allowed to go out temporarily three days journey in order to worship. Now the message is going further. It was a message of their deliverance. They were to leave the land altogether. But while it had that change about it, yet understand it was still a gracious message. God could have called judgment down upon Pharaoh there and then for not complying to his request and indeed treating it with scorn and contempt. But God graciously gives Pharaoh opportunity to yield to God's demand. And like Matthew Henry, the commentator, said, he said, God repeats his precepts before he begins his punishments. He repeats his precepts. And Pharaoh had still opportunity to escape the punishment of God. And that is what we see oftentimes throughout the Scriptures, the long-suffering of God, the uh, repetition of God. And it's one of God's graces to the unrepentant sinner. How many times has the Lord spoken? He speaks again. And conversely, none can complain when they do experience the judgment of God. Why? Because ample opportunity has been given to you to turn from your sin and to turn unto Christ, to obey God's command, to repent and to believe the gospel. I wonder, dear sinner, will you do it this morning? God, you've heard his voice and his word to your heart before, and yet you've rejected it. And he still comes in grace again as still a gracious message. You'll fully appreciate that this wasn't an easy message to deliver for Moses. It would be difficult enough to merely go in before Pharaoh again. It would be difficult merely repeating what he had already requested. But how much more so with the demand now, not merely to go for three days' journey to worship, but rather that they were to leave the land altogether. This wasn't a message that would tickle the ears and send the hearers back happily to their quarters. But it was a message that God commanded. Men and women, can I say to the congregation collectively, Oftentimes that is the case from this pulpit or any any of our pulpits for that matter. The message is not always one of uplifting. The message is not always one of encouragement. Sometimes the message of God that he commands will challenge us and it will rebuke us and it may even convict us and it exhorts us. But that is why we are to receive the word as the Thessalonians received it. You might say, well, how did they receive it? First Thessalonians, Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. Paul writing to them, he says, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when ye received the word of God, which, we, which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. You didn't receive it just as some ideology of man. You received it as a word from God. And that word has effectually worked, it, worked in your hearts and many of you. 
And dear people, I trust that that's the way we receive God's word every time we come to the Lord's house or in the quiet place. It's a word from God. I want you to note here the complaint on the back of that command. Verse 12, Moses said before the Lord, saying, Behold, the children of Israel have not hearkened unto me. How then shall Pharaoh hear me, who am of uncircumcised lips? I said to you already that God knows everything about us. He knows our mindset. He knows our heart. He knew Moses. He knew where he was at this particular point, emotionally and all the rest of it. And that includes includes this occasion of complaining. But yet God is still pleased to use the weak things. The weak things of this world to confound the things which are mighty. Moses falls back to some of his previous complaints. His logic was, Lord, the people of Israel haven't even hearkened unto me. How can the world, how can I expect the world to, to listen to me or to receive it? There's every appearance of unbelief here. But he's using it as a means to try and withdraw from the task that the Lord wanted him to do. And Pharaoh, not agreeing to the message from the Lord, had nothing to do with the call of Moses. And neither should our service for the Lord be conditional upon whether or not people receive it or accept the message that we have to proclaim. We are to do what God says. And God has said, Go ye out into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Whether people believe God's message or the gospel or not, that's why we still go out into the open air. That's why we still give that little printed track into someone's hands. That's why we still preach Christ from this pulpit. Because our calling is not conditional upon whether men receive it or not. And neither was it for Moses. It didn't matter whether Pharaoh received it or not. Moses had still a calling to fulfill. He still had a message to deliver. And so God sends Moses back and back again and back again before Pharaoh. Even though he would outrightly refuse to obey and he never believed. He never believed. You know, the message that is preached or spoken is not always mixed with faith. Hebrews chapter 4. I read this in the words of verse 2. It says this, For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them, but the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. And maybe there's God's people that have left the house of God some night and have said, how could the unsaved go out from under that preaching? How could they not stay behind? How could they not uh, yield and be converted? I'll tell you why. Because the message that they heard, it wasn't mixed with faith. It didn't profit their soul. And so they they can leave just the same way as they come in. Our work is not dependent upon people's response, but it's upon what God commands you to do. And Moses was commanded of the Lord, go in unto Pharaoh, tell him this message. The complaint of Moses was not only riddled with unbelief, it goes back to the matter about his speech. He says, I'm of uncircumcised lips. He's back there again. Remember we dealt with that before. 
It gives the thought of lips that do not speak well. Just as uncircumcised ears do not hear well. An uncircumcised heart does not receive well. But what Moses had forgotten is that it's not rhetoric. It's not oratory that is important in the matter of seeing a people delivered and souls saved. That was proven in the early church at Pentecost. The apostles were known as ignorant men. Unlearned and ignorant men. What that little phrase uh, tells us is they didn't sit at the seat of the professors of those days. They weren't found in the universities of those days as we might put it in everyday uh, language today. They were unlearned and ignorant men. But they took note of them that they had been with Jesus. And that made the difference. And those men uh, on that day at Pentecost, uh, they were to be used of God. uh, And the power of God's Spirit came upon them. And they preached the Word and the power of the Spirit. And that message went forth whereby men and women were converted. And they were gloriously set free. And God blessed the Word in the salvation of 3,000 souls been added unto the church. And God blessed the word in other times. You see, men and women, it reminds us, it's not by might nor by power. It's with my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. It's not because of the oratory of this preacher. And sometimes it mightn't be that good. And it's not because of the loudness of his voice or not. It's the power of God's spirit that we need in the preaching of the word and in the hearing of the word. It's all of God. It's the power alone of God, the Spirit, who can turn men's hearts from sin. I can't save you if you're not saved. This church can't save you if you're not saved. A child of God, I can't make you to obey the Word. And the Holy Spirit has to put that Word, apply that Word to your individual heart and soul. It's not the oratory skills of any messenger of God, and Moses had forgotten that. He says, I have uncircumcised lips. How's Pharaoh going to hearken unto me? I want you to see that the Lord doesn't even make reference to that complaint of Moses. He already dealt with that before. But what he does do, he gives him a fresh charge. Verse 13, the Lord spake unto Moses and unto Aaron and gave them a charge unto the children of Israel unto the Pharaoh king of Egypt to bring the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. In other words, what God had said to him already, that's what he was to deliver. It was a charge to go in and to tell Pharaoh. And you will uh, notice here that God repeats his command. Israel, his people were to be let go. Dear loved one. How often has God repeated the necessity of his salvation to lost men and women? God speaketh once, yea, twice, but man perceiveth it not. There are none who will be able to complain on that last great day that they weren't clearly told. The clear command of Pharaoh and for the children of Israel was they were going to be delivered from Egypt. They were going to be set free. And you can see the responsibility of Moses. It was to make known this charge of the deliverance of Israel. But there was also the responsibility on the part of Pharaoh. And there was also the responsibility on the part of the children of Israel. Moses would be the deliverer. 
He would be the leader, but the others had to cooperate. If they didn't, they would be punished. If Israel didn't obey even what the Lord was saying to them, then they could only expect God's judgment. And if Pharaoh failed to comply with the command of God, then divine retribution would be his portion. And what follows, of course, is how Moses does what he is instructed. Uh, Thankfully, we don't read now any more complaining. He's going forward. And he's owning up to his responsibility that God has given to him. And he carries out that command, as does the children of Israel. They are compliant, but not so with Pharaoh. There's defiance, there's stubbornness on the part of Pharaoh. And he's going to be judged in a most horrific and in a most devastating manner. Does it not remind us all that none ought to consider themselves as innocent bystanders? We all have a responsibility. We all have a part to play in God's great plan and purpose. We all can't be preachers, no. We all can't go to other fields of service. But we can pray. We can support. We can hold the ropes. As it was said of William Carey, ere he left to go out to the field of service in India, which the Lord had called him to, child of God, are you owning up to the responsibility? Please don't think it's only left to the minister or to the eldership. We all have a part to play. We all can pray. We all can support. We all can do those things that the Lord commands us to. May the Lord help us to obey the clear command of him in these days. I want you to notice not only the command, but the appointment. For having noted God's command, what Pharaoh was to be told, what follows is a list of names. Indeed, here is a genealogy, like you find in other parts of the Scriptures, not, like, not least like that of Christ himself. The genealogy is found in Matthew's account, as well as in the Gospel of Luke. And it is here, not just to fill out a page in the Word of God, It's here not because it's in the wrong place. We don't believe in any of that, the way the liberal will do. But it's here because it shows those who were going to represent Israel before the king. The appointment of Moses and Aaron to stand before the king of Egypt was of God. And Moses would speak with authority in the name of the Most High God. And this genealogy gives proof, as it was in those days, as a claim for office or a claim for position. These were the channels appointed through which God would reveal his strength. And the matter of proof was important. And that is why we're given some of the details of the family of Moses. He's of the tribe of Levi. I'll come back to that. His father's name was Amram. His mother's name was Jochebed. We're given those things. It also confirms the details of Aaron's family line. Because of his position, he held, and especially of Eleazar, his son, who would be successor as high priest. Dear people, when Christ came to this earth, he did so as the promised Messiah. 
And that could easily be proved by an examination of the genealogy of Christ. The lineage of Christ clearly goes right back to David. And even beyond. And his resurrection from the dead, it was also proved, we read in Acts 1 verse 3, by many infallible proofs. And I underline that to you. Because it teaches us that God's work is built on a solid foundation of facts. Our faith can be investigated without fear or without being exposed as being some fraud. That can't be said of the false religions of this world. Our faith is based on a solid foundation. That foundation is Christ. And I want you to see in as difficult lists of names as they so often are in the Hebrew, it's not merely a genealogy, but it's of the grace of God. And that is evident because only the families of the first three tribes or the first three sons of Jacob are given. Jacob, of course, at twelve. They're not mentioned here. Only the first three. You'll ask yourself, why is that the case? Again, it is because it introduces Moses and Aaron. And to introduce Moses and Aaron, those channels that God had appointed to go before Pharaoh to lead the children of Israel out, he's got to get the genealogy as far as Levi. And Levi is the third son. That's why it goes no further. And so, to introduce Moses and Aaron, you see that. Look at verse 20. And Amram took Jochebed, him Jochebed, his father's sister, to wife, and she bare him Aaron and Moses. And the years of the life of Amram were 137 years. If you're giving attention, you'll notice there's a wee omission there. And the omission is, Miriam's not mentioned. Because you see, Miriam wasn't appointed of God to be the channel. He's just giving this genealogy because Moses and Aaron were those appointed to be the channel of blessing and to be the leadership. But we're given a little glimpse into the family home here. In doing so, that has to include Reuben, if we're to get to Levi, we've got to include Reuben. We've got also to include Simeon because they were the firstborn and the second son, respectively. But while they're named, neither of them were chosen of God or appointed for this task of deliverer. The history of Reuben was marred because of his incest. Simeon, along with Levi, were also guilty of murder. Genesis 49, if I can take you back there to what old Jacob said, verse 5 and set to 7. It says there, Simeon and Levi are brethren, instruments of cruelty are in their habitations. O my soul, come not thou into their secret, unto their assembly, mine honor, be not thou united. For in their anger they slew a man, and in their self-will they dig down a wall. Cursed be their anger, for it was fierce, and their wrath, for it was cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. And that's why the tribes were scattered abroad even in that time. You see, they have murder on their hands. Yet the order of nature is not the order of grace. 
and that God appointed Moses from the tribe of Levi, does that not speak of his grace and his mercy? Indeed, that God will include every one of us from Adam's fallen race in his redemptive plan is an everlasting testimony to his wonderful mercy and grace. None of us are deserving. You have noted in verse 20 the unusual union which was later prohibited. Amram took on to him Jochebed, his father's sister, to wife. That's unusual. That's prohibited later on. But Moses, in writing this, doesn't conceal it. He's writing under the inspiration of the Spirit of God. He's writing it for the sake of truth and for the glory of God in his church. Notice also the order, please. You'll notice that Aaron is the oldest. He comes before Moses in the passage. As in chapter 7, verse 7, Moses was fourscore years old, Aaron fourscore and three years old. When they spake unto Pharaoh, he's three years older. And we have it in this passage in the way in which it is given. And she bare him Aaron and Moses. And further on down, you'll see it again. Aaron and Moses. That's according to nature. But when it comes to the leading of the children of Israel, if it was according to nature, it should have been Aaron that was chosen. But it wasn't. For in the divine arrangement, it reveals the sovereign prerogative of God and the younger being exalted above the older. That's Jacob, not Esau. Ephraim and Manasseh, you see him there too. It's God's grace. It's God's grace, man or woman, that the Lord has saved you and maybe not your neighbor. And you might look down the street and you might say, that's a better man than me. The Lord has chosen you. Matchless grace of God. Now, there's a little note there too with Levi. Levi was the third son. Three in the scriptures is often associated with resurrection. The Lord rose again the third day. That's why the deliverer came. And Moses was raised up of God. He was appointed of God that he might resurrect a nation. A nation that was a living dead nation, if you like. They were in bondage, but they would be brought out to live in that land that God had promised them on resurrection ground. And so Christ was delivered for our offenses and raised again for our justification. Look at verse 26 and 27. These are that Aaron and Moses. Do you see the order again according to nature? To whom the Lord said, Bring out the children of Israel from the land of Egypt according to their armies. And there you'll notice these men were chosen for Israel's deliverance. There seemed to be the go-betweens. They received the word from the Lord. They went in then and spake that word before Pharaoh. Bring out the children of Israel. Verse 27, these are they which spake to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring out the children of Israel from Egypt. These are that Moses and Aaron. Do you see the orders changed there? 
Because that's God's order. God met with Moses at the burning bush. He was the one that was appointed to be the leader and to bring Israel out. Not according to the order of nature. Now it's according to God's grace. It's Moses and Aaron. And they were to be brought out. We're now back at hearing that charge that God gave them. Israel were to be brought out. Not in confusion. Not fleeing. But in order. In order according to their armies it says. And in God's plan. It's Moses that's given. He was before Aaron. He would lead them first. He would lead them out. Dear people. Does it not impress upon us. Our go between. The only mediator between God and men, appointed of God from eternity past. The one who stood in between. God who was, the one who was God, who took upon himself our humanity, that that he might reach man. And as a God-man, he could satisfy God's justice. He could purchase eternal redemption for all who will come unto him. Do you know him today? Do you know Christ interceding for you today in the glory? As your only mediator, I wonder, Uh, do you know him as your saviour he's leading he's bringing many sons to glory he's gone before you see and his sheep follow on are you one are you part of that great company even this morning our time is gone I want you just to notice uh, uh, briefly the challenge the closing verses return to the narrative, to the charge that God gave unto Moses. The objection of Moses there in the last verses is again the same as verse 12. But it is repeated not only to show us the utter weakness and unbelief of Moses at this time, but surely therein is the challenge. And the challenge for him to continue. He was to persevere in the work that the Lord had given to him. He was to persevere despite the reservations that he himself had, knowing full well his own limitations and his own weaknesses. He felt that. But God says you're to keep going. You're to keep going despite even your reservations. The challenge was to persevere despite the rulers that God was calling him to go in before. He says, how shall Pharaoh hearken unto me? Moses, it doesn't matter that it's Pharaoh sitting on that throne. You are to persevere. You're still to go and to obey my command. Pharaoh was such a mighty king with wise counselors and eloquent orators around him. How could Moses ever see success before such a man? Men and women, keep going today. It doesn't matter that the ungodly and the murderous are rulers over us. God's still on the throne. Remember that. It doesn't matter that there's weak in our, in our governs, weakness there. Look still to God. Keep going. Because Moses served under Pharaoh and Paul under Nero. And God is commanding us, challenging us, we're to keep going in this our day. The challenge was to keep going despite rejection from the nation of Israel. Oh, they hadn't hearkened unto him. They had dismissed him essentially as their leader because of the increase of the burdens. But despite all of that, the message from God was, Moses, keep going. Is that not a challenge for us to do the same? Despite the difficulties, despite the doubts, 
despite those who would despise us and despise the message that we have to proclaim, we're to keep going. Just think of Christ. He set his face toward Jerusalem. He refused to turn from the work that the Father gave him to do. But instead, Paul reminds us who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. He didn't turn back. He kept going right to the very bitter end, even the death of the cross, that he might purchase our redemption. Who for the joy that was set before him, the joy of redeeming his people, the joy of having his people in heaven one day, and he's gone before that we might follow on. Dear child of God, keep going. Do the work that God has called you to for as God's instrument, as God's channel of blessing, you can see a work done in your business, in your farm, in your house, in your neighborhood. You keep going. God can cause you to see a work done. Robert Morrison was the first missionary to go to China. When disembarking from the ship at the Chinese port, he was asked by the captain in a most sneering, mocking manner, so you think you're going to make an impression on China? And Morrison was depending upon the Lord. He said, no, sir. But I believe God will. I believe God will. Let's trust God today. Let's trust God in the work despite our circumstances for these days for his glory. Dear unsaved, will you trust him this morning? Will you come and be saved and get into the work and join with others? I trust that you will. May the Lord bless his word even to our hearts this morning.